What comes to mind when you hear the phrase, one more thing? Internet search engines produce two main suggestions. Steve Jobs, former CEO of Apple, and Peter Falk, who brought us the irascible fictional character, Detective Columbo. He did it a little differently, you know. Remember how he said it? I just, it's just one more thing. <laughs> My guess is that your personal response to that question may fall along somewhat generational lines. Both of these men were known to use this phrase to great effect. Regardless of what led up to it, the question or the revelation that followed was sure to be worthy of our undivided attention. Anyone who followed these characters knew to lean in. There would be much to glean from their closing remarks. Rather than tuning out, the adept listener knows when to sit up and pay attention. As we enter the final days of a year replete with sorrows, disappointments, and teachable moments, I think I can speak for all of us when I say I am ready to move on. For whatever reason, we tend to see a new year as an opportunity to turn over a new leaf, round the corner, or have a fresh start. We have a sense of optimism that next year will be better. Optimism is a commendable trait, but our eagerness to say goodbye to the old threatens to rob us of one of the greatest gifts of a difficult year. Reflection. The better part of our New Testament consists of epistles, letters to churches, people groups, or individuals. Do you remember how you learned to write a letter? Perhaps it was in the schoolhouse. Many of us were blessed to receive letters from family members as children, grandparents, aunts and uncles, let's be honest, aunts, or other family far away. Now, my maternal grandmother, who was never certain what words ended with an E, so she threw them in wherever in doubt, <laughs> always addressed my letters to Master Matthew Hill. Talk about an archaic convention. Those of you who know me well are aware that I, I never threw anything away. My mother, unfortunately, is not burdened by that same character flaw. Oh, what I would give to have just one of those letters from Grandma. But I digress. Whether we learned letter writing in school or at home, there are certain elements that we all know by instruction, experience, or intuition are necessary parts of that form. Counterintuitively, some of those parts of a letter actually increase in importance with the intimacy of the relationship between the author and the recipient. How many of us still have love letters in a box somewhere? Did we not exercise great care in choosing the words we used to open and close these affectionate epistles? 
It stands to reason then that we would do well not to gloss over the opening and closing sections of our New Testament epistles, lest we miss some jewel of insight or perspective that the Holy Spirit saw fit to preserve for us, for our edification. Members of the Lynn Street Life Group can attest to the fact that we enjoy camping on these greetings, salutations, prologues, epilogues, and digging for diamonds buried therein. Our text this morning is just one such passage. Paul concludes his epistle to the church in Rome in what we have designated as chapter 16. The apostle opens his closing remarks by sending a number of personal greetings. While this is his usual practice at the end of such letters, Romans boasts about as many personal greetings as do the rest of his epistles combined. He ends this list with the admonition, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Oh, to return to the days before the holy elbow bump. And this is where we'll begin this morning. Would you please stand with me if you're able in honor of God's word and uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 16. New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans 16 and beginning at verse 17. This is the word of God for his people for you and for me. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles, contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother, Quartus, greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. According to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Gracious Father, 
Bless, we ask, the reading of your word and the teaching of it. Protect us from error. Teach us, please. We are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now the keen among us will have noticed the irony of my having glossed over that lengthy list of personal greetings that preceded our text. Touché. The point stands, though, that the comprehensiveness of the list that appears right there, uh, starting at verse 3 all the way through to verse 15 of chapter 16. The comprehensiveness of that list gives us our first insight into our passage. Paul had a deep personal connection to the church in Rome. There's a huge difference between a letter written to a group of strangers and one written to family. Wouldn't you agree? A missionary letter, for example, to a supporting church, while containing much of the same report, will pale in comparison with one composed to a sending church especially when that church is the one that the missionary grew up in. The same information, the same content, takes on different character when the author has so many personal loved ones in mind as they put pen to paper. And so we should observe that as Paul brought us this great epistle, so meticulously detailing the doctrine of the church, the workings of the gospel itself, as he brought it to a close, his remembrance of the many saints that he loved in Rome caused him to reflect on their personalities, their inclinations, situations, and to pause for one more thing before saying so long for now. So with pastoral love for these saints, Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. What essential trait, look at those verses, what essential trait or characteristic of the church do you think Paul has in mind to protect here? Let me hear you. Unity. Now, while doctrinal purity is certainly in view, it is the unity of the church that is at stake in those things. As Paul reflects on the individual people whom he has just given this great treatise of Christian doctrine, his burden for the unity of the church is what rises to the level of one more thing. Does this remind you of someone else? Is there another person who comes to mind whose burden for the unity of the church flooded his heart as his ministry drew to an apparent close? Yes, of course. 
Jesus' high priestly prayer. In fact, let's turn there now. I, I never pass up an opportunity to read this. To read this for myself and to read it together. John 17, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And now they have kept your word. Now, They know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Listen, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for all those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me 
may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Listen, the unity of the church for whom Christ shed his blood, not just in his sacrifice on the cross, but even as he prayed this very prayer, was of utmost concern to our Savior. It was of utmost concern to the Apostle Paul. And it ought to be of utmost concern to we who are in Christ. Anyone with even a passing knowledge of the writings of the Apostle Paul knows he was not big on periods. Paul knew how to string words together. So when we see here what essentially comes down to a two-word sentence, it should give us pause. Avoid them. But first he says, watch out. Like the t-shirt that I had when I was a kid that said, be alert. The world needs more alerts. <laughs> we could elevate that slogan from the ridiculous to the sublime and say, be a watchman. The church needs more watchmen. Only that would miss a key point. This appeal is not made to some select class of Christian fact checkers. No. This warning is to the whole church. The church in Rome, the universal church in all time, to you and to me, watch out. So what are we to be watching out for? We know who, those who cause divisions. But how will we know them? Now don't miss this. They create obstacles contrary to the doctrines that you have been taught. A few weeks ago, Pastor Chris preached a message on stress. Now, I want you to know that he and I both had an especially stressful week that week. I mean, just crazy stuff. We both laughed about it after the fact. But only because if decades of pastoral ministry has taught us anything, it's this. Never preach on something you're not ready to be tested on. (laughs) That's why we preach to ourselves. As the preacher of old reminds us, there is nothing new under the sun. Paul knew that the doctrine, the teaching of the gospel, was sure to come under attack to those who would read and study this book. And so, as he thought of those who would read this book, as he thought of those he loved, And how to conclude his letter, he appealed to them to watch out for the attacks he knew would come and were already brewing in the hearts of the Judaizers and the Gnostics. He continues, For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. Paul interjecting here about the motivations of the false teachers. Again, there's nothing new under the sun. He continues, and by smooth talk 
and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Now in our time, anyone who has the audacity to say something that people do not want to hear is very quickly silenced as being divisive. We might even go so far as to say that divisiveness defined this way is the new unpardonable sin of our culture. But that is not what we see here in our text. The divisiveness we find here is not brash or countercultural. On the contrary, it comes in smooth. And it tells us we aren't really broken. It tells us our destiny is in our hands. It tells us God wants us to be happy. It tells us if we just do this, this, and this, God will give us what we want. It is not the gospel. And it smells like smoke. Can't you hear the hiss of the serpent? Avoid them. Paul, reassuring his readers that he issues this caution, not because he believes they're weak, but out of an abundance of concern that they be vigilant, continues, for your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Fill your minds with truth. Fill your minds with truth. Don't give false teachers the time of day. They do not serve the Lord Christ. And as if that were not indictment enough, Paul continues, the God of all peace, isn't that ironic? The God of all peace will soon crush Satan, ah, the father of lies, the master of deception. He will soon crush him under your feet. As we saw last week, this promise echoes the prophecy of Genesis 3.15, which was made after Satan manifesting himself as the serpent used his smooth words to talk our first parents into cosmic mutiny, bringing down the entirety of the human race with them into death. This is Paul's way of saying, there is nothing new here. Satan has been lying to us from our first parents on. He and every smooth-talking deceiver will eventually be destroyed, but in the meantime, know the truth And beware of your enemy. The apostle Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Listen. Forget catch a tiger by the toe. Don't eeny meeny your way through scripture. Be transformed by the full counsel of the word of God. And don't let this defeated lion tear you, the church, apart. You will crush him underfoot soon enough. In the meantime, stand together. Stand in truth. Finally, Paul gives a blessing characteristic of his letters. 
He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Just as it is God's grace that makes it possible for us to know him, it is by his grace that we are able to stand firm in the truth. That important matter off his chest, the next few verses are a return, a continuation of the earlier personal greetings. But from the men who were with Paul, as he wrote, it says, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsman. I'll never understand why more people do not name their kids Sosipater. Perhaps in 2022. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Tertius, uh, evidently, was serving Paul as his secretary during the recording of this letter. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Seems like he had a church in his home. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. And so we come to the end of another year of worshiping God in large part by studying his word together. It seems like a good time for us to pause and reflect on this one more thing. Doesn't it? Take to heart the rich blessing of the word of God faithfully taught. Do you realize what a treasure that is? If you're like me, reluctant to throw anything away, you may have a stack of these on your desk or scattered through your home. Some of you use that area to take notes. If you are a note taker, may I encourage you to look through them this week? Take an inventory of this year's hardships and losses and examine how they lined up with the word you received each week. Or scroll through our podcast or visit our website. We publish the sermon audio virtually every week with rare and necessary exceptions. Consider how the Holy Spirit has used the word to speak directly to your heart. Often notwithstanding the points that we put up on the screen. Ministering to your personal need as only the helper of the good shepherd could do. But we have a responsibility here. So be diligent to apply what we have learned. Never be satisfied with just knowledge. Knowledge will teach you that the tomato is a fruit. Wisdom teaches you that tomatoes do not belong in fruit salad. If we come away from this year full of head knowledge and just saying good riddance to 21, we will have missed the opportunity to allow the Holy Spirit to apply the truth of God's word to the heartaches of the year and to prepare us for the year ahead. As we look forward to 2022, 
Let us commit together to being united together in the gospel, the true gospel, God's gospel, and sound doctrine. Lest we miss the fundamental connection between unity and truth, think back to John 17. I emphasize this. In Jesus' high priestly prayer, right at the heart of his plea, Jesus prayed, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. This is God's design for his church. That our union be rooted in the truth of the word and in separation from the philosophy, the thinking of the world. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't let the world shape your thinking, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Sounds an awful lot like Christ's plea on our behalf, doesn't it? Sanctify them, set them apart in truth. Paul's concerns addressed and the final personal greetings conveyed He moves on at the end here to his benediction. A doxology, really. He writes, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring out the obedience of faith To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. As we draw to a close this morning, I must ask, has God revealed to you this mystery? This whole month, we have celebrated the person of Jesus Christ. We call it Advent. That the Son of God took on flesh, being born of a virgin, to bear witness to the Father and to die on a sinner's cross. The righteous for the unrighteous. His flesh was torn for your iniquity and mine. A misery he endured for the joy that was set before him, our adoption as sons, as daughters of the king. We were alone. He came to us. We were in darkness. He brought us light. We were hopelessly lost and he rescued us. And his spirit is still giving faith to dead people, bringing them to life. Is the Holy Spirit of God calling you to new life today? 
by faith, obey his voice. To the glory of God through Jesus Christ, his son, trust him and be made new. What a way to start a new year. Amen? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. But if your word did not have a savior to speak of, if your word did not speak of prophecies fulfilled, what hope would we have? But by your word, we know our savior. By your word, we know the sacrifice he made on our behalf. By your word, we know you. We know of our sin. We know of our debt. We know of our inability to pay it on our own. We know that while we deserved everlasting punishment, you sent your son for us. In this we rejoice. Lord, as we stand at the edge of a new year, we look back. Holy Spirit, minister to our hearts in these final days of this good year. A hard year, yes. A sorrowful year, yes. But a year that you have given us and you who are sovereign are good. Teach us to treasure your word. Give us ears to hear it. And to listen this week as you speak to us about your goodness. In the year gone by. So that we are prepared to see it in the year to come. And all God's people said. Amen.